God. Part three. Cool. Thanks, Lynn. Good to have you fit and healthy again. The kingdom of God. Big topic, isn't it? When I get the opportunity to speak, there could be a few more parts yet. Well, there will be. Oh, I might finish by Christmas. Which is not that far away, is it? It's like, to use the words of Steve Irwin, crikeys. It's not far away. So God, we want to thank you today. We want to thank you for your love towards us, Father. We want to thank you, Jesus, that you came and you demonstrated the kingdom. You preached the kingdom, you taught the kingdom, you demonstrated the kingdom. And we want to thank you that we belong to a kingdom that could not be shaken. So, Lord, we pray that you continue to bring revelation to us about your kingdom. Lord, um, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And we just welcome the ministry of your Holy Spirit who will take the word and speak to each one of us today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So who knows God is working? He is working. There is more happening. And you know what? You can be so assured that there is more happening than what you see. Because so if you see and you see that God is working, you can be assured there is so much more that is happening. How encouraging is that? We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep fixing our eyes on Him. And I want to continue to encourage you to be a people of prayer. You know, uh, Neil and Michelle were saying the other day that they, you know, can't get out on a Friday night as much to come to Friday night prayer, but they spend some time at, at, at their house praying on Friday night. You know, we need to be a people of prayer. And, I, and more than ever, we need to pray for one another. And I keep stressing that. You know, we need to keep praying for one another. We need to keep lifting each other up before the throne of grace. Amen? We've got to keep guarding the unity, the unity of the Spirit. Because the enemy is always prowling around looking to devour someone, looking to discourage someone. We just, we have to look out for each other. But it's key in this time also that we keep being open to God. We keep being open to Him as we align ourselves to Him and His kingdom purposes in us, amongst us and through us. Amen? So, so far, the six points that we've looked at is that the kingdom of God is within you about seeking first the kingdom, that there's no lack in the kingdom, that we're not living um, towards something, but, but, but that we're living from. Because Jesus has done it, and we're learning to live from a place of love, from a place of uh, acceptance, from a place of forgiveness, from a place of what He has done, rather than striving towards. We've spoken about the beloved Son, the kingdom of the beloved Son, and that we are caught in the love between the Father and the Son, and we've also spoken about the authority that we carry in Christ. Amen? So this morning we've got three more points. The first point today is that in the kingdom, the focus stays on the king. 
That might seem pretty simple, doesn't it? It's not that simple sometimes. But in the kingdom of God, the focus stays on the king. You know, people have looked at, and even I've looked at before, shared some thoughts with you about the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Verse 38, it says, While they were travelling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve, me, to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made that right choice, and it will be not be taken away from her. Nowhere in there was Jesus saying that we, that we don't serve. But so often we, we can be like Martha, who welcomed Jesus into her home, and yet become distracted, can't we? We become worried. We become upset about many things. It wasn't the fact about the fact that she was serving. It was about the fact that she got distracted and she became worried and she became upset. What Jesus is actually saying here is that we keep the focus on Him. And in all things, we do it with Him, in Him. There's a noise floating around somewhere. Is it? I thought it was Jim's guitar. That's what it sounded like, the strings on the guitar. Maybe not. Anyway, distraction, see? Do everything with Jesus. Do everything with Jesus. Don't just welcome him into your home, into your heart, and then go off and live life and get distracted and worried and upset. But Jesus, everything's meant to be done with Jesus. Even when you go to work, do it with Jesus. When you go to work, when you go to sport, when you go out somewhere, do it with Jesus. Don't let the worries and the distractions of this world start to crowd in that you just go and do life and then go, oh, it's Sunday, I better go to church. The Christian life was never meant to be that. We gather to worship, we gather to encourage, we gather to be equipped, but we come from a place of worship to worship. We come from a place of love to love. We come from a place of giving to give. The focus has to stay on the King. We need to make sure, like Jesus spent time with His Father, He often withdrew to solitary places where He prayed. Amen? It's what we read in Scripture. And, and we also need that. We need to shut the world out just in the midst of something. And we just need to come away and spend time with Jesus. We need to spend time with the Lord. We need to recenter. We need to refocus. You know, before every major decision, and, and certainly before the cross, was where Jesus would spend time with his Father. Before he picked the 12, out of the many disciples that were already there, he picked the 12. It was no coincidence that he spent all night praying to the Father before he came down and he picked the 12, even the one who would betray him. So often we just make our own decisions in life, don't we? Rather than seeking the Lord and submitting to his will. 
We have to put Jesus in everything. Amen? Earlier in chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 72, and they go out, they see healings, they see miracles, they see you know, people, people delivered of demons, and they come back to Jesus, and he said, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the focus stays on the king. It was because sometimes it's really easy to get focused on what you're doing for Jesus. That's what was happening, and that's why Jesus said, don't, don't rejoice that the Spirit submits to you. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Oh, there's a reminder for us. We give Him all the glory. All the glory. He's worthy to be praised. We love to see God move and do things that, are, that we can have no claim to because people say, look what the Lord has done. He has done great things. We are believing God for some big things. There are things that are out of our hands. They, they are out of what, anything that we can do. But we want the testimony to be, look what the Lord has done. He has done great things. Is there an Amen. And then in Matthew 28, when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. He said, And surely I'm with you. You see, the focus is always on the king. Always on the king. I was thinking, you know, that verse that seems to be floating around the last few months in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and we run the race, amen? In Acts chapter 4, it's on the back of when the man at the beautiful gate had got up and he was healed and he was walking around. And Peter says in uh, verse 8 of chapter 4, when uh, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. And he goes on to say in verse 12, there is, no, there is, salvation, uh, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we can be saved. You see, it starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. It is Jesus who heals. 
It is Jesus. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. It is Jesus who, who, who is life. It is Jesus who is hope. It is Jesus who is joy. It is Jesus who is salvation. There is no other name. It is Jesus. Amen. So when we're about the kingdom, the focus stays on the king. We can, we can know that we're getting into empire thinking when we start talking more about ourselves and focusing on ourselves rather than the king. We want to be about the Father's business, don't we? The second point this morning is the kingdom is marked by generosity. When I was, when I was working through this one, you know, I'll be real for a minute. Well, I'm always real, but, but when I was reading the verses of Scripture, I'm going, ooh, ooh, because the Lord was saying the kingdom is marked by generosity, that we are a people of faith, not fear. And yet, I think if we're honest, there's some elements of fear in an area or two rather than faith. So I think we need to grab hold of this one this morning. I think we need to grab, grab hold of this principle that the kingdom is marked by generosity, that we are a people of faith, not fear. Amen? You know, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in, uh, we go to Matthew's uh, version, Matthew chapter 14. He was Jesus ministering in a remote area. There was a large crowd. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. But then evening came and the disciples approached him and said, Lord, you know, we are, well, they basically they said, we are a long way from the village. You need to send them away because we've got no food. And he said to them, they do not need to go away. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And right there in that moment, fear came in. I've got nothing. And I'm not just talking about feeding the hungry here. I'm talking about any situation that you face. Someone comes to you and says, will you pray for me? Um, I've got nothing. You see, it's very easy to operate out of fear rather than faith. Our faith is that when there is a need before us, that our God will supply all our needs according to His riches in glory. And I'm not just talking about finances here. I'm talking about every area of our life. That my God will supply all my needs. You know, when the Alice team that went, when those people were all down the front, the Alice team were praying you know, for the people, there, wouldn't be, there wasn't too many people that actually had something for anybody. But in that moment, they trusted the Lord and the Lord gave them a word. The Lord gave them something for that person that was in front of them. They'd never met them before. It is when we place ourselves in situations that we can't handle that we have to make a choice between faith or fear. And the world will want to make you fearful. Look at the marketing. Look at the advertising. Look at the newspaper reports. 95% of what's in the, well, probably not 95, but a huge portion of what is on the, on the news of a nighttime is just fear, 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 fear. And because then they normally say, and for the good news story today. So they've told you everything else. And then they go, and for the good news story today. You see, the world wants to condition you to fear. 
It's about lack. I don't have enough. I won't have enough. There's not going to be enough for my retirement. There's not going to be enough in the kitty. There's not going to be enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. But in the kingdom, there is more than enough. And I think we've got to grab hold of some principles, and God is challenging our faith. He's causing our faith to begin to rise. Amen? Love the verses in 2 Corinthians. We put that on our offering boxes over there because this is our heart. This is what, this is what we want to see, that people don't give begrudgingly, but out of the overflow of a heart. Amen? We read in 2 Corinthians 9 from verse 5, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the lacking gift, the miserly gift, the generous gift you promised so that that it will be ready as a gift and not as extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Full stop. Well, not not actually. There's a bit more to that verse. But it's a principle in the kingdom of God. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And again, I'm not just, whilst Paul is talking about finances here and, and food and all that kind of stuff, we're not just talking about that, are we? If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. This is a challenge in the world that we live in. He goes on to say, the person who sows generously will reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart before the Lord, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And I love this verse. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, Always having everything you need, you will excel in every good work. Where is the lack in that verse? Where is the lack of finance? Where is the lack of love? Where is the lack of joy? Where is the lack of hope? Where is the lack in that verse? Thank you. There's no lack. You you think about verses in Scripture. They just start popping out of my head when I was thinking about it. My cup overflows. That you would abound in grace. That we've been given abundant life. We press down, shaken together, overflowing the fullness of life, the fullness of hope, peace. It just, there's so much in Scripture that is trying to say to us, it's not just, it's, it's not lack. But that gets tested at times, doesn't it? Is my trust in the Lord or is the trust in myself? Can we be real for a minute? It gets tested. Is my trust really in the Lord or is it in myself? I've shared our family story back in 2005 when God said, cut up the credit card. I'm not saying to you today that you have to cut up your credit card, but if God has told you and you haven't done it, then maybe you should. You do what God tells you to do. God told us, I will provide all your needs. Cut up your credit card. And we went, okay. That seemed good at first. Until we had some circumstances where we only had $6 left in the bank and we had no backup plan. On several occasions. And you go, I wish I didn't cut up that credit card. 
It is the best thing I ever did. The testimonies that we have had from buying the boys McDonald's through to our house at Bagara and everything in between. is the goodness of our God. And I think we rob ourselves sometimes because we don't trust God. We say that we rob Him because we don't give, but we sometimes I think we actually rob ourselves because we haven't trusted Him and we don't get to encounter His goodness towards us. Oh, sorry, a bit emotional. Oh, I got some little statements that I want to give to you this morning about the difference between faith and fear, about abundance and lack. The kingdom and the world, I'll put it that way, in the kingdom and in the world. According to Scripture, in the kingdom we release and we receive. In the world we hoard and accumulate. We release and we receive, we hoard and we accumulate. In the kingdom, we hear from God. You know, that's what we do and that's, and, that's, and that's all we ever ask. That's all we ever ask. We never want to extort people for money here at Restoration Centre. What we do ask is that you pray and you ask God and you say, God, how much should I be giving? And maybe you need to re-go back to that and check that again every now and then because that's what we do. Just because I gave that a month ago doesn't necessarily mean I need to give it now. We go back to God, God, how much should I be giving? If we're all listening to God, there will not only be enough, but there will be abundance and there will be an overflow. Because it's who God is. My question is, are you asking God? Are you even giving? In the kingdom, we hear from God. And I'm not just talking about here. Sometimes you're kind of in the supermarket and you're somewhere and you feel God says to you, I want you to give $50 to that person. Okay. Be, 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 like, boom, 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 boom. Yep, I'm feeling it. Yep. And you go and give them the $50. So I'm not just talking about giving here. I'm talking about giving as a way of life. We hear from God, amen? In the world, we do what we want. That's the difference. In the kingdom, we hear from God. In the world, well, I'll just do what I want. In the kingdom, we honour God first. In the world, we look after ourselves first. That was something I'm always thankful about, that I was brought up in, in my household, my dad's household, with that principle in mind. I honour God first. And God will make everything stretch when you just don't think it's going to stretch. And you look back and you go, how did we do that? The grace of God. In the kingdom, we trust God. In the world, we rely upon ourselves. In the kingdom, there is divine favour. In the world, we try and make something happen. 
When we're walking in the paths and the purposes and the will of God, there is divine, d- divine favour. We don't have to make anything happen. We just got to keep stepping forward. And if the door opens, we just keep going. If the door shuts, we stop. We don't have to try and make things happen. And that's my concern, you know. Do I believe that God wants us as a, as a household of faith to have a property in Bundaberg? Yes, I absolutely do believe. But I never believe that a church is meant to be so much in debt that it can't look after people first. That's what it is. People first. For too long, too many churches have been slaves to their property and therefore haven't been able to help people. But for us, God said, build people and trust me with your building. That's why I believe that God has somewhere for us. People first, property second. But it's so easy. You could run drives, you could run fundraising, you can get bank finance, you can do all kinds of things and you can make something happen. And then three years later you go, why did we do that? We don't want to do that. There is divine favour when we're walking in the ways of the kingdom, amen? We don't need to make things happen. In the kingdom, there is faith. In the world, there is fear. I've already covered those ones. In the kingdom, there is a contentness. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. In the world, we strive rather than live out of rest. In the kingdom, our source is God. In the world, our source is man. I've said to you in the past before that I actually believe the church is meant to be the head and not the tail. I actually believe that we don't need government. If, 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 if only the, the men and women of God were actually giving and were actually doing what we're meant to be, we wouldn't have need for government. Our God should, should supply all our needs. The social security system of the early church was in the church. It wasn't in the government. The hospitals, the welfare things, some of the schools, stuff, were all started by the church that have been taken over by government. I believe our source is God. I believe He's going to ask us to step more into that. I think we're going to see that. We're going to have to trust God more than maybe we trust Him now. And the last point I had in the kingdom, we are called to steward And seek the face of God as we problem-solve some things. And in the world, we just complain. And we do our own thing. The kingdom is marked by generosity. And again, I stress, I'm not just talking about finance here. Far from that. The kingdom is generosity. God so loved the world. God so loved that He gave. The generosity of the Father to give His Son. The generosity of the love of Christ that he gave his life for you. The kingdom is, gener- is, is marked by generosity. Is there an amen to that? And the last point this morning is the kingdom of God is relational. It's family, it's households, it's fathers and sons on this Father's Day. It starts with the Father, doesn't it? Romans eleven thirty five to 36 says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? 
For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. It's from Him, it's through Him, and it's to Him. I've said before, no one can love God like God. So it's from Him. The love that we receive is from God, and it's through Him. It's through the, the, the love poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we can only love God. In 1 John 4, we read these verses, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. So the one who fears is not yet made complete in love. What he's saying is, there's still pockets, there's still areas of your life where you do not know the love of God. So you're fearful because the love of God is not complete. There's still pockets, there's still areas in you. So you take ownership, you strive, you try to make things happen. You're fearful of not having enough. There's no fear in love. None. That's a journey, isn't it? Perfect love casts out all fear. goes on to say in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. <laughs> Isn't that so good? We love because He first loved us. It started with Him. You know, we can submit to Him, submit to God. We can submit to Him. It says in James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. We can submit to God because he is a good, good father. He is perfect. He is holy. We can submit to him in everything, in every way. But this is because in submission there is safety. But this is also meant to be replicated in our relationships. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, in verse 5, it says, All of you uh, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time. If we go back to the verse before, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to, to those who are older. This is not necessarily an age thing. This is a wisdom and a maturity thing. Because just because you're 70 doesn't necessarily mean that you are mature in the Lord. You're looking for people that carry something that you recognize in the Spirit and you feel that they are a safe person that you can submit to. Not submitting in terms of controlling and manipulating, but submitting so that you can blossom, submitting that you can grow, submitting so that you can be safe, submitting so that you can actually become all that you're meant to be. This is what Peter's saying here. Young men, submit yourselves to those who are older. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you at the proper time. Part of the problem with the church particularly the Pentecostal church today, is that they don't go through that process of submitting themselves to other people and therefore they try and make things happen and five years later they wonder why there's so much trouble. Because there's actually a process. 
if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Is that okay to say that? If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Jesus demonstrated sonship and therefore he was exalted. Is that right? Let's turn to a verse. Let's nail this point down because you know what? There's a little bit in us called self or flesh that doesn't like it. I was there. Man, I remember Mark, Mark Crawford. Who, who remembers Mark Crawford? Oh, I think Mark might have even said it here. I'm, I can't be certain. But I remember Mark saying to me more than, more than one occasion, the first time I went to Mark and I introduced myself to Mark and I was... He goes, what have I got myself in for here? It's true. And then he said to me, the Lord says, Tim, you're not normal. And I said, well, what is normal? Jesus. I don't know. Anyway, Luke chapter 2. Let me get back there. Luke chapter 2. Oh, wrong page. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 and 52. If we actually read the like beforehand, we'd realize that Jesus was in the temple and he was he was in that place and Joseph and Mary they were looking for him. Where's Jesus gone? Where's he gone? Where's Jesus? So we just these are the verses on the end of that passage. And it says, Then Jesus um, went down with them, that's Mary and Joseph, to Nazareth and was obedient to them in all things. His mother kept all these things, all that she'd seen and witnessed in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus increased in favor with God and with man through submission. So you see, Jesus lived out the principle that Peter was talking about, that there's a time of submission which is good for you in your life so that you can grow up into all things and at the proper time you will be exalted or you will be placed where you need to be placed. God will open doors for you where doors need to open. God will make a way for you. You, don't need, you, you do not need to do it. it. It's actually healthy. There's an unhealthy version of submission, which is you can't do anything unless I tell you you can do it, Kathy. That's not biblical. That is control and manipulation. But there is a healthy version of submission, which is about protection. I'm just looking out for you. I don't think that's the right thing. Tim, what do you think about this? Do you think I should be doing this? Kathy, I've got to check in my spirit. You know, pray about it some more. Go back to Jesus and double check because I've got to check in my spirit. That's safety. That's not control. And younger people, It's actually good to submit yourself to those who are older in the faith. I remember Graham Cook at the conference that I went to said, which stay with me, it's, well, it's still with me. He said, never submit yourself to someone who doesn't have a bigger version for your life than you. 
bigger vision for your life than you. I thought, wow, there's safety in that because there's no restriction in that. There's just protection. Someone who has a bigger vision for your life than you, they are a safe person to submit to because they're not looking to control you or to contain you. They are looking for you to become all that you're meant to be in Christ. Yeah, you can clap that point. That's fine. That's good. The redemption plan of God. We're just about finished. Music team, you probably better come up. The Father sent His Son, who left His place in glory and gave Himself for us in submission to His Father. Therefore, He was exalted and given the name that is above every other name. There's the kingdom right there. The Son left His place in glory because the Father said, you need to go. And you need to do this. That's the plan of redemption. He submitted himself to the Father. And he left his place of glory. And he became obedient even to death on a cross. And therefore he was exalted. Out of submission, out of obedience, he was exalted. And he was given the name that is above every other name. And there is no, no, no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. You see, it was about a father and a son. And the kingdom of God is about fathers and sons. The inheritance that we carry, we all carry. The authority that we carry, we all carry. Because of what Father God has done for us and what His Son Jesus Christ has done for us. This is so in opposition to the spirit of this world, which is about me, myself, and I. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough and I want my share. Moving pictures from the 1970s. Yeah, I was born in the 70s, so I do remember those songs. Only because my brother was eight years older than me and he grew up playing the piano and singing all kinds of songs like that. And, you know, that's why it says train your children up in the ways of the law when they're young because what you, comes into your head when you're young seems to stick there. Even songs that you don't even want to sing. You see, a son, a son replicates the father who in turn makes other sons. Jesus replicated the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Timothy and Paul, same principle. Paul said, I'm sending Timothy to you, my beloved son, who will tell you about everything, who will replicate me. Receive him as you would receive me. This is the model of the kingdom that God is looking the church to rediscover again. That the kingdom of God is relational. That true discipleship is about investing of yourself into someone else who can then in turn receive and then go invest in someone else. The way the church is going to multiply is not by holding a a service. It's about people understanding what God has done for them and then beginning to live that out. We are all called to make disciples. Amen. Hands up who's called to make disciples. That's not every hand. Come on. Hands up who's called to make disciples. 
every single one of us. And the invitation of the Father is to come. Come. Receive. Receive everything that I've got for you. There's no lack. There's no fear. There's no striving. Receive it. Receive the fullness of my salvation. Receive it. That we would live out of that. There's no lack in the kingdom. There's only abundance. My prayer is that the Lord would shift our thinking where it needs to shift. That our thoughts would align with heaven rather than earth. That our thoughts would align with the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of this world, which is all going to pass away. So, Father, we thank you on this day that we are your heavenly people here on earth. And, Lord, I ask that you would continue to align our thoughts with heaven, that we would see situations differently. We would see opportunities differently because all of a sudden we're not seeing lack. All of a sudden we're not seeing fear, but we are seeing an opportunity to overcome. Jesus, you said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And we thank you that in you that we are overcomers, that in you that we are more than conquerors. We thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us revelation after revelation after revelation of your kingdom and that we would live out your kingdom come and your will be done right here in Bundaberg. And the people said,